This week, we're continuing Daughter of the Forest by Juliette Marillier, otherwise known as We're Still on the Escalator to Hell. Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. So I'd like to start off part three with a quote. Oh. That's very ominous. Fancy. I know. Look at me getting all prepared for our recording I know. session. Official. It's not just the awkward intro of us like, uh, hey. Saying, hi. <laughs> hi. Hi, Katie. Hi, Jordan. Hello. How's your day hi. going? Okay, let's actually uh-huh. start. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just start with our book now. We, we've That's done fair. this enough times. Yep. So, well, actually, now having done one of those awkward intros. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Well, let me let me put this out there. Okay. There was something evil about Red's uncle, a menace in his eyes and in his clever words that turned me cold in his presence. Yeesh. That's a good one. And if that, if that doesn't sum up how ominous part three is, Mm. Mm -hmm. welcome to Richard. Yeah. Richard the dick. <laughs> oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, that was a good pun. Oh my God. You just slipped that in there. Wow. Um, I make myself laugh. It's okay. <laughs> oh my God. So Richard arrives in the scene. We we kind of left off with like a hint of Richard mm-hmm. and beware of Richard. And Richard is Red's uncle, right? Um, Lady Anne's brother. And he is like the ultimate master of the lands close to Red's property. Like he's like the overarching lord. So he comes to visit Harrowfield um, close to Samhain. Hmm. Halloween. That's fitting. <laughs> oh, that yep. is kind of fitting. The like spooky vibes. Yeah. And he kind of arrives with an entourage. It's very, um, very formal. He's got like, ritzy clothes and carriages and parades and like there is a to-do about Richard mm-hmm. and he's kind of described as like looking similar in appearance to Red like you can see the family resemblance uh, but there's just something a little bit more sinister about him and I kind of pictured um, you know who's the blonde prince from Shrek oh Prince Charming Okay, yeah, 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 that would be the one. Mm-hmm. Prince Charming. <laughs> I <laughs> like could see that. that in appearance. Yeah. With Frollo's like vibes. Dark, yeah. sinister vibes. Yeah. I kind of um I thought of Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Did you watch Game of Thrones? I feel like I asked you this. Yes. Okay, yeah. He reminds me of Littlefinger, where it's like uh he has this like suave, sly, like I'm a good guy vibe about him. But then like on the inside, it's like he is a menace to society. (laughs) Like very smarmy. Yeah, smarmy. Smarmy, but. But yeah. More. Yeah. Like like, smarmy, but powerful. Smarmy kind of comes across as like, oh, like you can swat them away. Yeah. No. This guy has got like presence. Yeah. They're like, uh, his fingers are in everything. Uh, If you cross him, you're going to end up dead. Uh, which did happen, mm. I think, on multiple occasions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he definitely reminds me of Littlefinger. Uh, yeah, I could, I can see that. And everyone kind of warns, well, not everyone, because not everyone cares about Sorsha, but Red is like, absolutely stay mm-hmm. away from this dude. Yeah. Uh, we have to be careful around him. So Richard arrives at Harrowfield and Sorsha is finally summoned to meet him in like the grand receiving dining room thing. And I just kind of pictured this as Richard circling around Sorsha, like sizing her up, being mm-hmm. like, oh, look at this piece of meat. Yeah. And doesn't that actually also happen? Got, yeah. <laughs> he's kind of got this um, racist, um, I don't know, little monologue going on yeah 
Yeah. He's like, oh, this is just like a, a beast from Aaron and like they're they can't control their wild natures. And he's talking about her as if she's not even there. Like, despite the fact that she can't speak, she can sure as hell listen. Yeah. And she's just standing there Ugh. like stoic, taking it all. And Richard doesn't come to visit alone. He brings his daughter Elaine with him. And Elaine is a really interesting character. And mm-hmm. so she's she's about the same age as Red slash Hugh. And she actually is the one to intervene as Richard is kind of going around Sorsha being like, who the fuck are you? And Elaine's like, hey, she's standing right there. Maybe you shouldn't talk about her like that. Yeah. Like with her listening. And then with his back turn toward Lady Anne and his daughter and Red, like Richard kind of takes a hand and like gropes Sorsha for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Uh, yeah. And she's, I mean, obviously with what happened to her in in part two, um, she's doing an admirable job just kind of breathing and, and just dealing with it. But then Red, like, stalks over and grabs Richard's arm is like, what the fuck are you doing, <laughs> yeah. dude? Like, <laughs> Not in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly like, welcome to my home, uncle. Now get the fuck away from my girl. Like, <laughs> So... But, yeah. like, uh, less in a romantic way and more in, like, a protective, like, don't touch people who don't want you to touch them. Because I feel like um, the romance in this, like, because obviously we've all been around the block a couple times, like, this will develop into a romance. Uh, it's very slow. It's very, like, methodical. It's not upfront at once. Like, it's very much, like, friends to lovers, I feel like, almost. Yeah. and. If you haven't picked up on it yet, the romance we're talking about is between Red and Sorsha because, uh, like, again, there's been nothing overt between the mm-hmm. two of them. Like, yeah. N- slow as in, like, an insect crawling several <laughs> yeah. miles slow. A cute little snail. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, again, that's fitting with what occurred to, what happened to Sorsha. Like, I, mm-hmm. like, a romance at this point in the story would be too much, too fast, not, yeah. not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's very much like a no, this person is under my care. I swore to protect them. Like, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think he even says, like, uh, Jenny is a guest in this house. You'll treat her as such or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, Richard and his daughter are like staying at Harrowfield, and Sorsha is kind of minding her own business, but she is running out of her Star Wars. Mm hmm spindle bush like she had a bunch collected and now she's gone through it all and so she makes it known that she needs to collect some more and everyone thinks she's mad like you're destroying your hands why do you need this plant um but she starts making plans to like sneak out and collect more of this plant so she can do it and then meanwhile her friend marjorie who's married to john is pregnant and the time of birth comes upon Marjorie and there's Sorsha like chilling in her room. Like I'm a healer. I've helped with numerous births, but they don't oh, yeah. let Sorsha come to like the birthing room until it's going very, very poorly. And Marjorie mm-hmm. is like not doing well. So Sorsha is finally summoned by, I think it's not Lady Anne, but it might be some of Marjorie's like friends. Do you, yeah. Or was it Lady Anne? Uh, the girl has a name. She's like the servant that's like on Sorsha's side. Uh, I want, no, not Marjorie. I don't know. But there's a servant who's like kind of cool with her. She's like, oh, she's just so nice. And she's just living her life. Uh, she comes to get her, I think. And just in time, because Sorsha like grabs her healing bag and goes to see Marjorie and helps her with the birth. And it takes all night. And this happens to be the same night Um that I think it would have been midwinter. So some time yeah. has passed and mm. she needs to meet her brothers. And so she was planning to sneak out to meet her brothers as well. The same night, same night that Marjorie is giving birth and Sorsha decides like it's her duty as a healer, as Marjorie's friend to stay and help her. And so she does. So she finally, like the baby arrives, it's healthy. Marjorie is saved. John is ecstatic because a little bit of the background here is that John and Marjorie have tried to have a child before and haven't been successful. 
So this is a huge thing for everyone. So Sorsha having ensured that like baby's safe, mom is healthy, dad's happy, like she runs out of the chambers to go meet her brothers and it's already dawn. Mm, the scene was so emotionally trying because uh, Juliet, the author, does like a really good job of uh, conveying that sense of urgency but like things being outside of your control. So like on the one hand, Sorsha is like struggling because she really wants to help her friend. Like she knows exactly what's wrong with the baby because I think it's like turned upside down or something like feet first. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And she knows like exactly how to help, but they don't want her help. And so she's like conflicted and she's like, I can't just force myself into the room, but I also need to find a way to like get out of the house and see my brothers because like this is the one day. And then it's like, oh, like you can come help, but we're going to be like kind of rude to you or whatever. Um, and then you're also missing your brothers. Like the urgency and like confliction in this is so good. It like has you anxious when you're reading it. It's, but it's so sad because <laughs> I think she it like is. gets on the ground and like sobs and it's like, oh, my baby. <laughs> yes. So she kind of ends up in the, the garden outside of her room, just like bawling but like silently bawling which is even more heartbreaking if you've ever mm -hmm. seen like silent tears like oh and red um finds her in the garden and he's he tells her like these are not the tears of just one night and Aww. he makes the promise <laughs> i know <laughs> it's very oh <laughs> this guy <laughs> he makes he makes the promise of like returning her home no matter what happens like after he gets the news of his brother um and Sorsha is conflicted, like, especially at the scene with how she feels about Red, because she's obviously very grateful that he's protective of her. And she, like, has this opportunity opportunity to be away from Unag, Una, and <laughs> kind of finish her shirts. But she thinks because of the, the scene in the cave with the fae court that happened during part two, um, that the, like the lady of the forest put a like spell on red to protect her mm -hmm. and see her through this quest. Like, so basically Sorsha doesn't, she doesn't believe red is motivated like by his own good intentions. She thinks he's only acting this way towards her because he's being forced to, which is also like right in the heart, in yeah. the feels like she Ooh. can't believe that anyone like will actually care for her. And it's just, mm -hmm. And I mean, it because it enough bad hasn't happened. Yeah. And it makes sense from her perspective, too, because like what like why would she think otherwise? Like this man like jumped into a river to save her, took her voluntarily to his home, is like allowing her to stay as a guest. Like she doesn't he doesn't like owe her anything. So like why would he like go through all of this crazy shit to like continually protect her and keep her safe and like somewhat happy so it's like reasonable. It's like, oh, yeah, he totally is under like a spell. Like, why would he just do this out of the kindness of his heart? Good guy, Red. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, poor Red and mm. poor Sorsha. So she's kind of like, again, she's what, 14 at this age? Uh, like yeah, like 14 and a half, which is kind of makes me uncomfy, but I get it. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, just pretend like they're older at this point. Yeah, I told myself the whole time that she was like 17, 18, and it's only like a two-year age difference instead of like seven. Yeah, <laughs> we're just going to go with that that interpretation. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> 17. Um, <laughs> yep. And so something that I, I don't think we mentioned last part is um, Sorsha has befriended another dog. And oh, yeah, it, Alice. Alice. And I imagine it's this ugly little rat terrier thing because mm -hmm. it's described <laughs> as like this elderly yappy dog that hates everyone, snaps at everyone, <laughs> and it's just this, like, it's just there. And she finds out that this used to be Simon's dog. And like Simon's dog was since when he was a child and like this dog isn't friendly towards anyone, but this dog kind of attaches herself to Sorsha and like not overtly friendly, but like. I will tolerate you. I imagine this dog is more cat-like yep. than, than dog-like. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to follow you around, but like, don't get too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's Alice the dog. So 
after this interaction with Red in the Garden, Sorsha's like, okay, I need to finish my sweaters. I'm going to call them sweaters for you, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> and um, So she sneaks out. Remember, she's guarded. Like Red has set like a rotating guard on her and she manages to sneak out of her garden um, room area to go collect the starwort. And Alice, the dog, decides to go with her. And this is so this is winter time, right? And Richard and his daughter and his whole entourage have been gone for several weeks. Like they stayed for a few days and then went home. So like she's like, okay, all clear. I can go out and do some harvesting and it's fine. Though and- Richard did, or not Richard, uh, Red did tell her like, do not leave the house by yourself. Like that was reiterated a couple of times. And she's like, it'll be fine. Like I'm just going off like really quick and it's you know in the evening or it's like early in the morning no one's gonna see me like it'll be fine fine. well (laughs) to be fair no yeah (laughs) there's yeah so she tried to make it known to like lady anne and all of like the ladies of the house that she needed to go collect this plant and no one is taking her seriously Mm -hmm. like they're like you're fucking crazy like we're gonna stop this now no more plant for you yeah. And Sorsha being like, well, I guess I'm doing this on my own. Because <laughs> so. I think even Red knew that she needed more. And he's like, well, like, if I just don't take you, maybe you'll, like, stop all this nonsense. It's like, home mm-hmm. dog, you don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, this is Sorsha. And, like, she's not going to let anything stop her. So she sneaks out, and like, early in the morning, I want to say, to go collect the mm-hmm. starwort with Alice. And... She's been gone for a little while. She's been collecting plants and she senses that like there's something wrong and that she's being followed. And then out of nowhere, like Alice just kind of cries out and yelps. And Sorsha sees (laughs) there's an arrow sticking out of this poor elderly dog. Oh, my heart. There's so much <laughs> violence that happens, like, in this book. It's so much dog violence. It's... I know. Ugh. But Alice God. isn't dead. Like, Alice is alive still. Mm-hmm. So, Sorsha, like, immediately figures out, like, she's a healer. So, she kind of... I think she tried... She snaps the arrow and is able to, like, mm-hmm. extract it. Because this mm-hmm. is a tiny dog. Um, So, she can subdue it enough to, to make it work. But then... Um, Richard and his men appear out of nowhere, and he's like, "Oh, so sorry. I we were hunting. I thought it was a rabbit, something like, like bro. that." Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm fine. Everything's fine. So I'm gonna he, fight this he, fictional character. <laughs> we're gonna kill Richard. Um. <laughs> so he kind of, I think, sends his men away a little bit, and he like sidles up next to Sorsha and is just uber friendly and disgusting and he starts making all sorts of like insinuations and like just it's gross um but he mentions yeah this scene I struggled with um because I feel like it kind of loops back to our earlier discussion um from last episode about like uh whether like the rape needed to be in this book. Um, that's how I felt about this scene. Cause he calls her like a whore and um, a slut, I think too, but it was so over the top. And I know it's the way of like conveying his character and like how gross he is, but it was almost like, this is a little like excessive almost like, did we really need to hear this so many times? Cause he goes into like really gross detail or uh, not like really gross detail, but he's very like, lecherous i think is the word yeah lecherous is like the perfect word mm-hmm. to describe richard but he always makes these insinuations about why red is actually keeping Swisher, yeah like at harrowfield and then richard also makes some very disgusting comments about like his own daughter because elaine oh my god yeah is Ugh. engaged is like engaged to red and so basically what richard is telling Sorsha is that hey like you're here to be like his practice bitch mm-hmm. so uh so that like, he's all like, my daughter is ready to get bedded. Like, it's, it's absolutely Ugh. disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so there were some reviews that I read um, a little while ago when I was doing some research on this book. And a lot of people made the comment that Richard is like, like excessively villainous, like to the point where mm-hmm. it's not realistic. Yeah. 
that's that's how I felt like during the scene is like, did he really need to say all of those things? Like, I feel like the effect was met well before uh, he like went into all of that like gross detail. And like, it's kind of like, would he really say all those things about his own daughter? Because like, wouldn't he see her as like, uh, you know, an extension of him? Like, I don't, I don't know. This scene felt like very like too gross. Like, and eh, you could have toned it yeah, back a little. It was, well, I think the one saving grace of this scene is the fact that like, okay, well, not this part. So Richard kind of decides to like grope her. Like mm-hmm. there's nobody around. He sent his men away. And so he like full on like takes hold of Sorsha and she's, I thought this was, was a really way good way to write Sorsha's reaction because mm-hmm. she just full on stomps on his foot. Yeah. And <laughs> like full like miscongeniality, like that uh-huh. first step, you just <laughs> slam on the instep. Uh, yeah. But she doesn't run away because she kind of realizes in the moment, like he's going to catch me. Like I can mm-hmm. run, but I'm, nothing's going to, nothing's going to happen. But God damn it, I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. And she does this. And then over the horizon, Red and his troop of soldiers <laughs> come galloping, galloping in just yeah. in time. And he's like, oh, Sorsha, funny seeing you here. I was just looking for you. Hiya, uncle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Welcome to the, the family home. How about you come stay for a little while? Yeah. I liked that scene, too, because it kind of shows um, not a character development, but almost her kind of like standing up for herself. Like um, she has decided like enough's enough. Like you're going to touch me. Like I'm going to fucking hurt you. Like it was a nice like moment where she chose to like protect, not chose to protect herself, but um, like had the moment where she's like, no, I'm not going to allow you to touch me. Like, no. So that was like a nice little like not growth moment, but her like, yeah, because, setting boundaries and being like, no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Sorsha's in a very, um, I don't want to say proactive. That's not the right word because she's doing yeah. a lot. But she's not a outwardly aggressive character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. So yeah, it was nice to see her kind of do something mm-hmm. to like protect herself. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so Red Red arrives to save the day and he is absolutely furious and very scared um but he like kind of scoops her up onto his horse and like tells richard like hey i'll escort you to to harrowfield thanks for coming uncle and um he like i can't even accurately describe red's like visceral reaction to finding sorsha with his uncle like he, mm-hmm. he knows his uncle and he knows how bad it could have been um but eventually Sorsha kind of communicates to him like with gestures that she needed to get this plant. Um, and so Red is like, okay, I, I get it. Like you're going to get this plant no matter what, but in the future, like I have to go with you or mm-hmm. some of my men have to go with you. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice too. Cause he didn't blame her really. It was like a nice moment of like him showing emotional maturity of like, okay, shit, I made a mistake. I didn't realize you were being so serious about, like, your task. Like, I kind of thought that if nobody helped you, you would just forget about it. But, like, okay, I get that you're very serious about this. Like, we won't, I won't make that mistake again. It was, like, a nice moment that he wasn't, like, mad at her. Like, he was at the beginning, but it was kind of, like, that fear mad. But then he's, like, okay, like, I understand you a little bit more now. Like, I'll take steps to be better. It was, like, a nice, like, oh, okay, good. It was like he was more mad at himself for yeah. not realizing what he needed mm-hmm. to do, which was super yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, well, Richard and his men end up staying at Harrowfield for a while. And then while they're there, Richard decides to tell the story because he's like passing around the gossip that he's collected about like the ongoing war with the with the Irishmen. Um and he tells the story of Lord Cullum's missing children. Um, and Sorsha's sitting there like, oh, my God, I hope no one put these <laughs> um, pieces together. Like, oh no. <laughs> like, how did Richard figure this out? Because Richard is not a dumb man. Like, no, he's described as this villainous, like, 
I, I don't know. I don't have the words. Like, like he diabolically smart. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I thought he was similar to Littlefinger because Littlefinger's smart in the same way where he like knows he like knows how to get knowledge and then use it in the like most effective way for himself. Like Richard's the same way because he it's implied that he knows that Sorsha is Lord Calm's daughter. Yeah, it's and. God knows what he's planning to do with that information. Yeah. So Sorsha is like even more freaked out. And then like to top it all off, like the extra sprinkles on the cake, Richard invites Sorsha to come stay at his fortress as company for Elaine. And like Red <sighs> immediately refuses. Like he's like, fuck that. Nope, she's staying here. And if Elaine needs a best friend, like her ass can come here and <laughs> stay as long as she wants. And I didn't really get into it when Elaine first appeared in the in the story, but she's a really interesting character that we only get glimpses of through Sorsha. Mm-hmm. But so she's so she's engaged to Red, and like this betrothal has been very long standing. But she's not described by the author as like the other woman, like the yeah. competition for Sorsha, which I thought was super refreshing. Like mm-hmm. Elaine is this very composed. Um, reserved character and like Sorsha describes her as like her feelings were always so in check I could hardly imagine her being angry with Red or with anyone else mm-hmm. and like yeah. I just picture as Elaine being this very calm gracious controlled lady mm-hmm. who was uh I don't remember her name but um in Crown Duel the friend of Shabraith's where Mel thinks that they're together Exact same vibes. Yeah. Uh, whatever her name is. Uh, Lady yeah. something. But yeah, that same kind of... described as being like same appearance too. Yeah. Yeah. The like very composed, like not... She's just doing this because it's her duty kind of thing. And like she's friends with Red, but like friends with Red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Elaine comes to stay and like she's super polite. She's like friendly to Sorsha and Sorsha is like observes Elaine and Red spending like an awful lot of time together, but nothing untoward happens. And it's weird, right? Because everyone in Harrowfield, like Lady Anne and all her ladies in waiting know that like Red and Elaine are meant to be like they were childhood friends. They grew up together and like. He's hot. She's beautiful. Like, (laughs) just, (laughs) like, destined. And then Sorsha, like, this is another, there's so many quotable moments in this book, but they're, like, great ways to kind of set the tone. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. she, Sorsha says, like, at the start of this next chapter, like, then followed what I looked back on later as the last good time at Harrowfield. And as if it weren't dark enough. Yeah. God, because these next scenes, like, again, the author, like, Juliet, she does an amazing job of just these, like, tiny things that give you, like, unease. Even as you're reading it, you're like, you know, it's, like, building up into something, like, really not good. And the whole time you're super scared for Sorsha. You're like, all of these are, like, on the brink of being, like, really bad and it's building up to something, but you're, like, not sure what. And you're like, I just want to protect you. Like, be careful. Something's around the corner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And like, okay, one of those things is that people like in the Harrowfield household, like the servants and like the men at arms and the lady, mostly the women, yeah. <laughs> um, pe- <laughs> people start getting, yeah, rumbly about Sorsha still being there because Red and Elaine's wedding is like around the corner. And Sorsha, like people accuse Sorsha of pu- putting a spell on Red and that the work she's doing with the with the sweaters is it's like a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sorsha's like, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. Like she she can't say anything. She can't defend herself. She just has to like keep going about her day and hope that no one kills her. And then weird little things start happening. And I thought this was a like a good parallel for how the book started with mm. weird little things happening when Unag arrives. Yeah, that is a great point because it's exactly the same kind of uh, uh, like increasing feeling of unease that like, ooh, like this is not pointing in good directions. It's the exact same feeling of like, 
<laughs> yeah, like starts out like happy with like an overtone of weird. Yeah. And then just gets gradually descends into yeah. darkness. Like, like ominous. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that happens is Sorsha's dress is muddied. And after like turning it in for cleaning, it's returned to her like stained and unwearable. And she's like, well, I don't have anything else because I'm a visitor here. So she's wearing this god-awful dress oh. and until yeah uh, lady anne and this is another like peek into another character lady anne's like not in my household like mm -hmm. she doesn't like sorsha like she disagrees with how red is handling the sorsha situation but lady anne's like i will not allow anyone to be treated like this in in my house mm -hmm. so she like finds another dress for sorsha and like so lady anne is never like outwardly cruel or aggressive towards Sorsha. She doesn't like her, but she will abide by her son's decision, which I thought was like a super cool way to spin that character. Mm -hmm. She kind of reminds me of those, um, I don't know if it's like a stereotype or not, but those uh, Southern moms who like, I don't like you, but I'm respectful enough that I'm not going to tolerate like disrespect or impoliteness. Like, we're going to treat you well, even if we don't like you. It's like that same, like, I'm not going to actively help you, but I will not tolerate people being rude. Like, you are a guest. Like, because it says more about her, she thinks, than it does about, you know, Sorsha. Yeah. Go, Lady Anne. Kind and of. Half. Well, kind of. Well, <laughs> Lady Anne is a complicated character, which yeah. we'll find out more in part four. Oh, yeah, she has a redemption, I feel like, at the end. Mm -hmm. But she's I mean, little... she needs it. Yeah, Yes. See, that's the, she needs mm. it. <laughs> well, so the other thing, too, is Lady Anne was really encouraging Red to send Sorsha to Richard's castle. Yeah. Like, she's like, get rid of this bitch. Like, mm -hmm. we don't need her here anymore. So, yeah, Lady Anne is kind of like this gray area character where you're like, mm -hmm. you don't like her, but, like, you understand her. And yeah. Because she's being, like, manipulated by her brother, too. Like, she's not kind of mm -hmm. immune from that ominous, sketchy, slimy, oily feeling. You know what? Very much like um, the king from Graceling. Oh, yeah. They're very parallel mm -hmm. characters. That's a good, yeah. Are you saying there's a villain trope? Hmm. Huh. Why are they always, like, See, that is kind of nice because it's the like, oh, no, he's like a great guy. It's like not a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Could see that one a mile away. Yeah. Well, the next thing that happens um, in the the plan of like descending into darkness with this story is that Alice, who recovered from her arrow wound, like mm -hmm. this dog can not be killed. Um, Alice goes missing and Sorsha like, is like, okay, well, this little dog doesn't like anyone. So, like, she looks for her and then she starts getting more panicked because she's having flashbacks to Lynn. Yeah. And it's it's not a good day. So, I, I don't remember if Alice is gone for several days or if it's like a full day. I think it's like a full gone. day. Yeah. Yeah. And Sorsha finally returns to her room like late at night. And there's Alice like sitting on the doorstep, just like waiting there, like, obviously not hurt. But, like, there's something off. Like, Alice is feeling, like, extra growly mm -hmm. and aggressive. Because I think so, she, like, mentions that Alice has never been, like, directly, like, growly and mean to her. Like, they've had kind of, like, a wary, like, okay, I'm not going to, like, touch you unless you want it kind of thing. But all of a sudden, she's, like, super skittish and, like, like nipping at Sorsha. And she's like, what the fuck happened? And I feel like yeah. I'll actually, wait, you can continue. I'll come back later. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so Sorsha kind of calms her down a little bit and is just chilling in her room. And Sorsha's kind of really withdrawn even more to herself and doesn't spend time with anyone. Um, and Red comes to her door late at night. And this is, like, not really out of the ordinary because, like, he's got a 24-hour guard on her and he's doing one of those guard shifts. And, like, she opens the door and he demands to see her face. And... Because she's like opens the door and like looks down and is like, I don't have time to deal with you. I'm having a bad day. Like, yeah. and so like he tells her like, no, look at me. And he can immediately tell that something is wrong. 
And so Sorsha explains with gestures what happened to Alice. And it's at this point in the story where you realize that Red and Sorsha have found a way to communicate pretty effectively mm-hmm. um, with each other. Like he has learned to read her and she has learned to like use her hands and like this modified sign language type of thing to get her point across. So Red contemplates like he's standing there in the doorway and he's obviously like, God damn it, not another thing happening wrong to this girl I'm trying to take care of. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he asks her why she didn't go to him, like, when she first discovered Alice missing. And she's kind of, like, throws up her hands is like, what the fuck could you even do if I told you? Like, what mm-hmm. are you going to do to protect me in the, uh, against your own people? There's nothing wrong. It's just this dog was gone. So he, like, reaches out and like tries to touch her cheek as in like a gesture of comfort but like she mm. backs away mm. which like fair because i mean she's like i don't really want men touching me like reasonably after everything that i've been through yeah and this kind of goes back to like us talking about like last episode how the author treats sorsha's journey and how she handles her experience and like this is very reflective of that Mm -hmm. um yeah and then red also kind of brings up the the night in the cave with the fey folk and like he's kind of talking to himself a little bit as much as he's talking to her he's like trying to voice this dreamlike experience out loud because he doesn't even quite believe that it happened um and Sorsha's like, well, I can't really tell you one way or the other, boo. I'm like, dude, but like, <laughs> yeah. it's a crazy story. You're talking to a crazy girl. So, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there was like the underlying, um, uh, so there was like the underlying feeling for her where she's like, well, you're from Britain. So like, obviously you're not, you can't understand the stuff that's like going on in Ireland. Like that's not even a part of your like um culture or something that's within your capability to understand because it's not normal for you so like you're never going to figure that out if that was real or not and he's like damn like i know it was true but like i can't believe it and she's like yep i i told you um but the thing with alice so someone had like snagged her and like shaved in a symbol for witchcraft on her leg or like on her body that's why she was like so freaked out and there was the other kind of like underlying i think sorsha says that she didn't want to like burden red with it because like he's busy and he's like seen as being like continually more and more wary um because he's like doing the like one night out of three he's not sleeping because he's guarding her and like he has richard to deal with and then elaine and the wedding and like planting and so she's like i can't like burden you with this because like what can you even do about it so it's this like nice like kind of give and take that she's like why would i like come bother you like you have enough stuff like worried about and there's nothing you can fix about it but he's like no you need to tell me these things and it's like oh <laughs> it's honestly i think this is one of the most intimate scenes we get between yeah. red and sorsha and mm-hmm. red says like he says like i wish you would talk to me and sorsha thinks like well as soon as i can talk to you you're gonna get rid of me and get on with your life and yeah. like you will forget as like all men do and his, oh, this, this line, like, it's like, this is not, this is not a romance, but like this mm-hmm. line just speaks to me. Like, <laughs> he says, like, I want to hear your voice. He said, like, but what does that matter? Uh. And like, you never really get a full read into like Red's character because mm-hmm. he is described as very reserved. But like this scene, you get a sense of like there is a lot going on underneath the surface of Red that yeah. like he's too much of an like he's in control of himself and he's never falters, mm-hmm. which is really cool to see. Yeah. I think this is an important part of his story arc, too, because by the end, he kind of has this like full not transformation, but definite like growth. So like this is almost um the wall he's built around himself and his motions like starting to break down. And I think it's because like he's never had someone that he could just like tell things to. And I think he even like mentions he's like, I have never told anyone anything like I'm telling you stuff, but it just seems like I can talk to you and you'll listen. And like, I want to know what your thoughts are on everything. Um, But I feel like this is the beginning of that, like breaking of his kind of like emotional walls. Which is great because at yeah, the end he has this like full, full circle moment and it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, red. Yeah, he's, hmm. well, 
spring arrives, and notice that there hasn't been a lot of talk of Sorsha's brothers. And this is, I think this was necessary at this point in the mm-hmm. book because, one, she kind of goes away from her homeland, so it's hard for, for her brothers to find her. But in order for, like, things to develop with Red and for all of these things to happen, like, Sorsha's focus needed to be slightly shifted. Yeah. Um, because yeah. she's always, like, planning her her life and her actions around like the next time her brothers can visit, which she never falters, like she never fails to do except for that one instance with Marjorie. And even that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so like her brothers kind of take a backseat at this point in the book for like for the better, I would say. Mm-hmm. It almost shows like her dual, um, res- not responsibilities. That's not quite the right word, but her like, she's kind of torn. Like she obviously wants more than anything to save her brothers, but she also is kind of, not interested in her own happiness, but she's like kind of building her own life here and having like some kind of like positive things. And so she's like not torn in the sense that she's not going to do what she knows is right, but she's kind of like taking a couple seconds to actually enjoy something after like all the hardship that she's been through the last like year and a half, two years. Except there's more hardship to come. So much more and it makes me sad. (laughs) Yeah. So like the next like chapter scene is like (laughs) described as spring arrives. And with it, like the first thing that happened was trickery and the second was murder. And when you read that line, (laughs) it fucking tears your soul apart because it had been a while since I read this book and I forgot who was murdered and it stabbed me in the soul all over again. So that was awesome. (laughs) You're going to suffer and you're not going to be happy about it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because that's exactly how it opens. Like, the author tells you, like, someone's going to die. Yeah. And you're going to find out very soon. But, like, you really have no idea. And it's, yeah. ugh, it's awful. And you're so used to books, like, killing off, like, minor characters that you're like, oh, this will be fine. But then you're like, I feel a little too ominous about this. Like, maybe mm-hmm. it's going to be someone instrumental. And then it is. And then you cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the first piece that happens like the trickery so Sorsha is been working in the sewing room with lady anne and her like the women of the household and she hears um the women kind of talking really raunchily <laughs> about red and his brother simon like <laughs> i won't go into any more detail than raunchy <laughs> but like yeah pretty pretty bro um as far as like red and simon's capabilities <laughs> and they make this <laughs> in bed <an> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and so they overhear the women say like um why would would he would red look at her when he can have elaine mm-hmm. and sorsha's just Ugh, right in the field. So she's like trying not to cry. And she's also really struggling to like reconcile these women talking quite happily about sex when she's only had this very torturous experience with it. But yeah. she also is able to acknowledge that it can't be entirely awful because she's seen like this really positive, happy evidence of like her brother Liam and Ellis and Marjorie and John. But Sorsha just kind of sets back and things like, I'm like I'm damaged. I'm like soiled goods. Like I will Ugh. I will never have that happy life. Like I will just Ugh. retire to the save my brothers, retire to the forest and be alone for the rest of my life because she can never <laughs> Katie, are you gonna make it? No. Um, this scene is so fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> it it is, but you know what? I, I'm really glad that she included this scene because again like this is very on the nose yeah like how someone would feel yeah. given Sorsha's experiences um mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's tough and mm. yeah it really gets at that like shame that i feel like a lot of victims feel in the uh like hopelessness mm-hmm. and it's just so like no, you're a sweet little flower and you're going to be happy again. Just like hold on and don't be sad. It makes it made me want to fight someone. I like I'm very much like a visceral like if you bully someone, I will literally throw hands. Uh not that I've actually ever fought someone. 
uh, for legal purposes. Um, <laughs> like, I I would defer. I'd be like, no, you're good. Like, I'll back you up. <laughs> yeah, but it just makes me so sad because like she's just doing her best. Don't don't be mean. Ah, well, and also, like Sorsha's like youth is like this is right when she would be like coming into her own and be interested in boys and like looking oh. at, like marriage and stuff. And she's yeah. like, nope. She's like an, this little old woman trapped in like this downtrodden body, and it's uh-huh. awful. But there's like a nice little positive scene that happens. So Marjorie and Sorsha have grown closer in friendship. And Marjorie, like, summons Sorsha to her room and says, hey, like, I made you something. She pulls out this beautiful handmade, like, lavender dress. And so she, like, she puts it on Sorsha. She, like, ties her hair back. And, like, Sorsha, for the very first time, kind of sees herself in the mirror and sees herself outside of her circumstances of this curse and, like, sees herself as, like, a grown woman and, like, oh, like, that's me. Like, Mm -hmm. I am a person. I'm not just a tool in this whole story and curse. Um, It's a very, like, yay, friendship. Yay, Sorsha, like, finally acknowledging herself and her value. You forgot the cutest part of this. Oh, tell me. (laughs) Oh, my God. The guys coming in. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was such a cute. I feel like that's the first, like, uh obviously like romantic moment so like ben comes in first uh he's like the younger of the little trio and he's described as like the big flirt um like if you've ever read throne of glass he reminds me exactly of like idian like he has like long blonde hair and he like flirts like aggressively with everyone um and he's like dang like you look good and she's like oh my god like please stop like this is awkward and then like john comes in and he's like oh my gosh jenny you look so like pretty like a plus dress like you look like a woman like good job and she's like oh thanks and then red comes in and he just stops like dead in the like uh entryway and just like stares at her and then like sorsha like describes this whole thing as like a growing sense of like and then she runs away (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh she had a mel moment (sighs) yeah she did there's always one mel moment throughout any book (laughs) but it was just so cute because it felt genuine Like, she's kind of having this moment of, like, oh, I look, like, pretty in this. Like, this is a moment I feel like a woman. And then, like, Red comes in and he's, like, (laughs) brain stops functioning. (laughs) But it's not, like, uh, aggressively in your face. It's not, like, anything happens after that. It's just this cute moment of, like, oh, like, maybe maybe there's something here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's it's adorable. To be quickly squashed by the trickery that's about to happen. And it's 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 bad. Everything in this book is bad. It's so, so sad. <laughs> so there's a a fire in the sewing room, and Sorsha had been keeping her collection of like spindle bush starwort in the sewing room, in like this little corner. And this fire happens to only occur right where Sorsha's stuff was and all of her supply is just destroyed and it it crushes her because you know it's so incredibly painful for her to like harvest this plant like it it's an undertaking in and of itself to just get the plant and then have to strip it and then soak it and then weave it like it's yeah and I think like part of one of the shirts is like burnt too Mm -hmm. yeah so The fire happens and Lady Anne is like, well, you know, bad things happen sometimes and we'll, everything will be fine. I just wanted to stab Lady (laughs) Anne at this point. Like, angry bitch. (laughs) Cause it was just that so like, uh, inconsiderate, like, oh, uh, what's the thing from Bridgerton? The like thoughts and prayers or whatever she says when she's, (laughs) oh, yes. Uh, That was (laughs) sorrows and prayers. (laughs) That was, yeah, actually, yeah. I love that. That was the scene. <laughs> but Red, thankfully, like swears to take her out again to like hunt for this plant. And he accuses his uncle of setting the fire or like orchestrating it at the very least. And his mother's like, no, my brother would never do that. And it's at this point that like Red assures Sorsha that like in time, don't worry, you'll she'll win back her voice. And Sorsha like 
puts the pieces together and like, holy shit, like Red understands the curse. Like, how did he figure it out? And ugh, this line. So like Source is kind of dumbstruck, like, okay, uh, this guy's smarter than he looks. And also, what does this mean? But Red says, Ugh, oh my gosh. He says, it's I'm so good at waiting. You you'd be surprised how good. And like <laughs> screeching. Like, okay, so I know I'm like I I'm getting hot mostly because of the room I'm sitting in is super hot. However, like a man showing and displaying and like promising patience is like just as hot as mm-hmm. bare-chested sword fighting, yeah. you know? Cuz it just shows that like I'm going to put in the work. Like this is on your speed. I'm not going anywhere. And it's like <laughs> my soul <laughs> exactly yeah it's i mean that is probably the most one of the most romantic lines in this book is that yeah. very simple statement from red because it implies so much it implies mm-hmm. stuff that from sorsha's view she doesn't really get it yet but reading it you're like oh i know what he's really waiting for mm-hmm. but like he he gets where she's at and what she's struggled with and he's like like you said just i'm i'm here for you like i'm gonna Wait for you no matter what. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) My soul. (laughs) Yep. And you know how we have like this torturous back and forth of like darkness, hope, darkness, hope. Oh, yeah. We're about to Here it comes. The seesaw's going into hell. (laughs) Yeah. So the next day, um, John and like another man like on red's orders uh take sorsha out to go hunt for more starwort so they go out to this like cliffy area to gather her plant and so sorsha's out there cutting the plants and john like showed her like hey like i saw you cutting this plant but you should actually cut it this way it'll help protect your hands and sorsha tries it and she's like oh well thank you john like that's that's really sweet like it really like obviously she didn't say that but like she's like oh this was super helpful and mm-hmm. then a very large rock slide happens. Uh. Sorsha, <laughs> yeah, Sorsha kind of comes to, like, it's massive. Like, she gets knocked out. She kind of, like, kind of comes around. Her ankle is pinned, and she's able to, like, stand up. But obviously there's something wrong. And she's looking around, and she doesn't see John at first and then she sees him and he is definitely like he's alive um but he's stuck under a huge boulder mm. and he's dying like she can't do anything to save him like she can't move this rock um and even if she could like the damage is, is too bad and the other guard who was there is also gone um like probably buried um so john is like conscious and tells Sorsha like hey tell Marjorie I love her and like tell her like I love our son and he'll grow up to be a fine man and Sorsha is just sitting there like oh <laughs> she she can't even she's she's there she's like comforting him as much as she can and then he like breathes his last breath and mm-hmm. John dies yeah and he also um the whole scene he's like uh, struggling to get any kind of words out, so it's all disjointed. But he also says, uh, "Red, like when he, and then say, and then yes." So it's like you, as the reader, have no idea what that means, but it comes back later. Just keep that oh, in your pocket. That. <laughs> yeah, that's very important. Shortly to be revealed. So, um, eventually, um, I think some of red's men arrive and they were are able to lift john's body out and bring him back to harrowfield and red like puts sorsha on his horse and like she can barely walk um they all they all get it back and they like lay john's body out and marjorie's there with her newborn son right like Mm. um and after several hours, uh, Sorsha is eventually summoned to this room where John is being held at. And uh, they ask her to kind of explain John's final words to Marjorie, which is, oh, Jesus, Ooh. like this, like, 
it's like another test for for Sorsha. Like, oh, hmm, let's test your fortitude on not speaking to this woman who just lost her husband and has a newborn. Um, so she tries to convey with gestures and Red is there and Red does an accurate job at like translating. So I think at this point, Sorsha is using very like um, detailed like sign language, essentially. Um, so Red does a Red translates for her. And Marjorie is very, like, obviously withdrawn and says, thank you, and, like, you can go. I'm so sad. Because so, Sorsha also talks about how the Britons, like, keep everything in. And, like, I guess the Irish are more, like, emotional and, like, scream out to the heavens when someone dies. And she's, like, so confused. So she's trying to, like, relay on their behalf, like, all of the grief that they should be just, like, screaming out to people instead of, like, bundling in. Yeah. Well, Sorsha tries to kind of leave, but she's obviously limping and can barely walk. And so Red, um, like, goes to help her. And Lady Anne is like, just let her go. Like, she can walk on her <laughs> own because Lady Anne is fucking pissed. And Red's like, fuck you, Mom. No, she's clearly hurt. If she's struggling to walk, it's because she can actually struggle to walk. And so he helps her back to her room. And he's obviously distraught because he lost one of his closest friends. And so Sorsha, like, kind of talks herself into it and like breathes but she reaches out to like comfort red and like touches him for like the first time this is like i think the first time in the book she initiates contact with red mm -hmm. like outside of healing him yeah. and red just fucking snaps and is like i don't want your pity Ugh. and sorsha is just taken aback and like feels basically slapped and so she kind of like immediately hurries away like it's like the one time sorsha reaches out only to have her hand slapped yeah it felt so out of cow like character too. Just made the whole thing like, oh, he's like going through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some time passes and we get to like uh it's May Day. So it's like it's May Eve, whatever they call it. And <laughs> it is <laughs> May Eve. May Eve. Uh that's what I wrote. Um <laughs> I'm sure there's there's an actual term for the like the evening celebration, but it is the night before Red and Elaine's wedding because that is still happening. Like all of this, these developments are occurring as this betrothal agreement is in place. And Sorsha is kind of in her room, just hanging out by herself, working on her sweaters. And Ben delivers a message to Sorsha. It's very late. And he tells her to be ready very early the next morning, the morning of the wedding to go. It's all very kind of mysterious. So Sorsha's like, okay, guess I'm going to go on a trip. <laughs> and the next morning, like Red shows up kind of very mysterious and like has a horse, puts her on the horse and they take like a little day trip and he takes her to the beach. And I thought this was a really cool way that the author used to describe what I think are sea lions. Which <laughs> I, I was very confused about what creature this was. <laughs> I think it's either a walrus or a sea lion, and I'm pretty mm. sure they're sea lions. Um, but like the way Juliet describes like this creature, it's like, oh, for someone who's never seen one of these animals before, because Sorsha had never been to the beach before. Like she spent all her life at... Uh, seven waters never seen the water never seen a sea creature and then she red takes her to this beach and there's all these like fat sea lions just sunning themselves and she's like <laughs> what are, what are these things they're so cute and so red and sorsha just spend the day at the beach red takes out his book and is like just chilling and sketching and sorsha's like let's go play in the water and so she's just for the first time just allowed to relax a little bit and enjoy herself like not work on the sweaters not worry about people talking about her behind her back and just have a day. And it's as she's playing in the water that she hears Connor's voice like in her mind for the first time in ages. And he's able, I don't think he, she sees him, but it's like that mind connection. And he explains to her that they'll only be able to like cross the water one time. That, like that's the only energy that they have left. So She'll have to summon them when she's ready and done with the shirts. And it can only be this one time. So she gets that message. And then Red, kind of out of the blue, decides to tell her like this little fairy tale, which she's like, well, who are you? And like, 
where's my red? Because my red doesn't <laughs> yeah. tell stories. <laughs> and it's this <sighs> very cute, like, tale of, I think it's like selkies, mm-hmm. like sea lions who can turn into, like, men and women and fall in love with humans. And it's a cute little sidebar about how mm-hmm. like you if you love something you have to let it go yeah. <laughs> it's kind it's of such a cute there. parallel to like all of his comments throughout this of like oh like i will take you home like once you finished your task and like it's kind of almost him using the story to like tell her that he loves her and like i know that you have to go back home because like that's where you belong and that's where you like are happy uh it's gonna make me sad but i'm gonna do it anyways because i love you uh not in so many specific words like that but that's the vibe you get and it's like oh this is tragic (laughs) um just a side note really quick if you are intrigued by like selkie tales because that's a really fun like um, fairy tale mythology to deep dive into grace draven wrote a book called night tide which mm-hmm. i think is a selkie tale mm-hmm. I, I have something Maybe. on my tbr list i guess <laughs> i know there's a few others that i've read but it's also it's a also a very like depressing story like if you dig into like the actual mythology but nice <laughs> yeah yeah but i agreed this is red's way of like in his reserved manner of telling Sorsha how he feels about her. But he gets to the end of this tale and explains to Sorsha that he has heard a rumor that his brother, who he had, like a few weeks before, evil Richard had told Red and Lady Anne that Simon was dead. And they had found proof and heard stories that like Simon's body was found in Ireland. So this was weeks ago, but now Red has heard a more recent rumor that has a little bit more like standing that his validity has been seen. <laughs> yeah. And like, he has to go, like he has to go help find Simon. But in the meantime, like he doesn't want Sorsha to be unprotected. So he asks Sorsha to marry him for her own protection while he's gone. <laughs> Yeah. And he and Red reveals that Elaine, because Sorsha's like, well, like with her hands, like, what the fuck about Elaine? Like, <laughs> so um, he, like, this was the day you're supposed to be married to, to her and you're not there. So what's going on? And I thought this was super cool. So Red's like, well, Elaine actually is in on this plan and she stayed behind to like basically close up the house and the festivities and explain to Lady Anne and everyone who had gathered that like, hey, the marriage isn't happening. And he he tells her, like, Elaine's okay with this. Like she's she might be annoyed, but she's okay with this. Like I was I wasn't the one she wanted, very mysteriously. Um hmm. so intrigue. <laughs> yeah. So Elaine for the win. Um so Sorsha kind of mulls this over and she's She's not thrilled. Like, she does not want to do this. But she kind of recognizes that she really has no other choice. So she agrees to get married. And ugh, Red gives her a very, like, ornate carved wooden ring on, like, a leather strap to wear. And they go off to this little hut with, like, a little priest in the middle of the night. And they get married. And I think Ben's there uh, Mm because he's also on the plan. And it's the same night where Red has to be like, okay, honey, like, like, you'll be fine. You're my wife. My mother will ensure your protection. And I promise to bring back you an apple from, from Ireland. See, that made me think he knew the whole time what the apple was about. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Red and Sorsha just got married. And um, that's where we're at. And he's leaving. <laughs> And we still have like a quarter of the book to go. Yeah. Good God. That scene was so cute because there's this little tidbit where Sorsha realizes that he's been carving this ring for like a while because there's like an owl on it. There's some like leaves and stuff. And she's like, he's been working on this for like a long time. And he's like, don't think about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So it's like it's been on his mind for a while. (laughs) Like there's mentions of him carving something throughout like the story. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, that's cute. See, he is patient. Uh, he will wait. <laughs> oh, Red. He might be a new favorite hero. Like, I think we, he is. Yeah. We we need to do a hero ranking. Ooh, yeah. 
because he's like an underrated one that you kind of forget about, mm-hmm. but he's like the steady, you know, patient, emotionally mature one. Like he's kind mm-hmm. of like Poe, I feel like, but like a more reserved, uh, play it close to the chest Poe. Oh, Maybe we do like three or four more books and then we stack our heroes. Yeah. It's crazy though, because it's going to be hard. Because like at the beginning, I was like, "Oh yeah, Chevrolet is a hundred percent," but now it's like, "Oh, he has competition." <laughs> I know. I think probably because we just don't get enough of Chevrolet mm-hmm. to really, yeah, yeah. Okay. <sighs> well, part four, we will wrap up, and hopefully, there's a good ending. Hopefully, uh, yeah. But- it will get darker though. So I know. Like this is this is not the yeah. worst that has happened. I mean, part two probably had the worst scene, I think, but yeah. stuff equally like dark and awful happen in part four. Yeah. Uh, the escalator we're on is still going deeper into hell. And then maybe we'll be like, you know, evacuated out, but uh you have to go through several floors of horror first (laughs) we're gonna need an airlift to get out of this yeah (laughs) we're pretty deep in the shit (laughs) yeah well from our shelf to yours we'll see you on the next page hi readers if you'd like to help us pick our next book send us a message on instagram Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.